It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Hey, uh, this is the fifth and final week of a series we have called Naked and Unafraid. And it's really all about the idea of taking the risks and experiencing the rewards of living a wide, open, and expansive life. And the big idea comes from something that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Now, going back to, to heaven. Um, and uh, he would launch churches, particularly in key capital cities, which were often port cities in the known part of the world back then. This city was a, a city called Corinth in uh, modern-day Greece. And uh, then he would move on and, and launch more churches in other places. But he would keep in touch with these churches uh, in written communication. And we have some of those letters that he wrote to them. And this is one of the letters. It's the second letter that we have that he wrote to that church in this uh, port town in Greece called Corinth. And I just love this slice of what he wrote. And this has been the the inspiration and the principle behind this series, Naked and Unafraid. And he wrote to them, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Now, your lives aren't small. Don't make that mistake of thinking you're insignificant or your your lives don't count for anything, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can, and by the way, just so you know, with great affection, and this is what I encourage you to do, to open up your lives, to live openly and expansively. And if you're here joining us for the first time today, fantastic. It's kind of weird. You feel like this is the fifth week in this series. So let me kind of, I'll catch you up a little bit. Um, and, and there's still plenty to take from this one message uh, standalone. But let me just quickly put out there, for those of you that have been on this journey through this series, I sincerely trust and I sincerely believe that God's been speaking to you. And so my prayer isn't that God's been speaking to you, My prayer is that you've been listening and my prayer is that you're ready to respond and maybe you've been living life behind a fence. Maybe you've been living fenced in in an area or areas of your life and the big idea for this series is it's time to move out of the comfort zone. Comfort zones are overrated. It's time to move from playing defense, just holding your ground, to actually playing offense and taking new ground and living in this open and expansive way. So just a real quick flyover to catch us all up. Week one, our friend Steve Hall talked about risk exposure. And it came from a slice in the life of King David where, and I'm actually gonna loop back to this a little anyway, but where uh, literally he chose a moment in history to move out of the palace and to get down into the streets and, and do his life exposed to the world, where when you do decide to live your life in the public eye, you risk judgment and critics, you know that. And one of his critics was his wife who chose to stay holed up in the palace behind the window. And the big idea is risk exposure is, is dancing in the streets is way more rewarding than just watching life from the window. 
Second week, uh, I spoke about abandoning smallness. And this idea that in us, and by the way, Jared, I had this set up just for you. And uh, that in us, there's two versions. There's the mini-me, and yes, he came up on the screen. Uh, that would have cued a very hearty laugh from Jared Vini. Um, or there's the actual you that God and the me that God created us to become. And that's the bigger version. And the bigger version has the capacity to grow from the inside out and overtake the mini-me version only, however, if we choose to abandon smallness. Then Steve Hall pushed past criticism, that when we start to step out, when we start to move forward, when we start to take risks, when we start to do things we've never done before, when we start to do things no one's seen us successfully do before, the voice of the critics can, can, can rear up and tell us, you're, you're hopeless, you'll never succeed at that, why are you even bothering? And by the way, sometimes those voices are inside our own head and we can be our own worst critics and yet also they're often outside as well. And then last week I talked about the need to own your story, that don't ever be fooled into thinking that just because you have no control over changing things that happened in your past, don't be fooled into thinking that you have no opportunity and responsibility for changing the things into your future. By the way, if you've missed any of those, uh, we have them on our YouTube channel each week and also our podcast, so you can catch them up. Uh, speaking of our future, that's what I want to focus on today, the need to fight for your future. Now, I mentioned we launched this series, Learning from David, when he was king. I actually want to step back in history continue to learn from David, but a slice of his life long before he became king. And so if you've got your Bible app or you've got your paper Bible, pop that open to 1 Samuel 17. It's in the old part of the Bible. 1 Samuel 17. Let me give you the backstory. And I need to just ask something of you. This is a story that focuses on an encounter that maybe you've heard something about before between someone named David and someone named Goliath. And you don't even have to be a church person to think, yeah, I've kind of... If you, if you know the story, and here, this, is what, this is what runs the risk of happening in the next 10 to 15 minutes in, inside your head, okay? Just let me warn you, is you go... Oh, yeah, I know the story. There's a boy named David. David went out to meet his brothers. And then there was a big giant, and his name's Goliath. And David picked up a stone. And in fact, he picked up five stones. And he got out his sling. And he slung the stone at David, Goliath. And Goliath fell down. And David won. Can I go home now? And the mistake that you can potentially make of thinking you're familiar with the story is underestimating that God has more to show you from stuff that you've even, even seen or heard about before. So please, can I ask you, no matter how many laps you've done around the David and Goliath story, let's go another lap and let's learn something new, all right? So lean in. So here's the backstory. Even if you know it, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Here's the backstory. The backstory is that the, the nation of Israel, who at the time, that time in history were God's chosen people, 
they had a, 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 another people called the Philistines, and the Philistines were the mortal enemies of the Israelites. And so at this moment in history, the army of the Philistines were out on this particular battlefield, squaring off against the nation or the army of Israel. And look, here's what happened. I, it's like, I don't know who came up with this, but it is genius. The, the, they were standing uh, face off across a valley. So the Philistines on one hill, on one side of the valley, the Israelites, the army on the other side of the valley. And they didn't charge at each other Braveheart style. You know, death, oh glory. They didn't do any. You know what? They, they did this thing. It's known as representative battle. It is the most economical form of battle. Each army, all that was required of them, Brando, was to choose one person to represent them versus somebody from the other army to represent them. And here's the thing. So worst case scenario, only one person dies. Incredibly economical. And so that was what was happening here. And the Philistines, their number one draft pick, unsurprisingly, was one of their warriors, a guy named Goliath. Unsurprisingly, because Goliath was over nine feet tall. Goliath wore 50 kilograms of bronze armour. I couldn't even lift 50 kilograms of bronze armour, but he wore that thinking, it's no big deal. He's there. Now, what was at stake between the Philistines' army versus the army of Israel was that if the Philistines won and defeated the army of Israel, which in this case it was as if Goliath, the representative, was to defeat the representative of Israel, then the Philistines would take the Israelites captive and make them slaves to them, which the Israelites had, had, had happened in their history and they didn't want to go back there again. And yet despite what was at stake and despite not wanting to go back there again, nobody from the army of Israel stepped up. In fact, Goliath stood up every day for 40 days taunting and calling out, come on, you cowards, somebody come and fight. Come on, come. for 40 days. And for 40 days, nobody from the army of Israel, trained soldiers, by the way, in the Israel army, is a pretty crack army, yeah, Brandon will tell you, uh, nobody volunteered. So King Saul, who, who oversaw the nation and, 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 was, and, and oversaw the army, he incentivized the army. He said, all right, fellas, this is going nowhere. It's been 40 days. We've got to have somebody. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sweeten the pot a little. So Saul says, King Saul says, here's what I'm going to do for anybody, I mean anybody, who is willing to take on and defeat Goliath in battle. I'm going to give them and their entire family a lifetime of tax-free status. Hello. No more tax returns. And I am going to allow that representative to marry my daughter, who history suggests was very beautiful. So this was an incentive, not a punishment. Um, <laughs> so the story goes. In that moment in history, when, when King Saul was announcing this new extra level of incentives, there was a guy, a teenage boy named David, hovering around. Now, David wasn't part of the army. In fact, he was just there doing an Uber Eats delivery from his dad to his brothers who were part of the army. And while he's there, you know, he's hearing this, the king talk and he's thinking, huh? Did I hear that right? Did, 
I could have I sworn the King Jesus. And so he, he says to the, to the army fellow around him, because everyone's murmuring at this stage, whoa, 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 gee, whoa, whoa, tax-free status, whoa, whoa, hot-looking, uh, uh, whoa, that's gee, whoa, okay. David, who was talking to the men standing around him, asked, um, what's in it for the man who kills that Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot on Israel's honour? Who does he think he is anyway, speaking of Goliath? This uncircumcised Philistine. I, what an incredible put down to tell someone that they're uncircumcised. Anyway. <laughs> you can't believe he called me uncircumcised. Taunting the armies of God alive. Well, then the, the, the guys around said, well, they told him what everyone was saying about what the king would do for the man who killed the Philistine. And at this moment in history, David stood at a fork in the road between choosing to risk exposure and potentially experiencing the rewards of that, to dance on the streets or to not. To choose to just sit back in the window, stay inside the comfort zone. So he's in this personal fork in the road. And I just wonder, let me just play a little bit. It doesn't say this in the whole story, but I just wonder, I think it's maybe even plausible to think that, that, that he had a bit of an internal dialogue going on at this moment in his head. You know, starting with maybe, I could. But if, what happens if I don't? I mean, if I don't fight, well, then there's no opportunity for God to bring the victory through me. If I don't fight, then my entire nation will be humiliated and be taken back into slavery. And if I don't fight, I'm going to miss the incredible reward for me and my family of living a lifetime of tax-free status and me marrying into the household of the king. But if I do fight, if I do risk exposure, if I do step beyond the fence, then God has an opportunity to use me. If I do fight, then God has the opportunity to save my nation and cause them to avoid going back into captivity. And if I do fight, hey, hello, me and my family are guaranteed a lifetime of fame and fortune. And thankfully, spoiler, David chose the second. He chose to fight. One of the, I like busting myths every now and then. One of the myths that some Jesus followers can fall into around the promises of God is that if God's promised it, it will automatically happen. And automatically happen, meaning there's going to be no circumstances that'll stand in your way. There's going to be no opposition that comes against you, that you're just going to get on this magic carpet and go on this magic carpet ride and be beautifully dropped into the la-la land of God's promises while you sat back Wally style and sucked on a Slurpee. I'm throwing a few extra Jared Beanie-friendly uh, metaphors into this message today. He named his first child after me, so it's the least I could do. <laughs> However, and many of you know this, that's not how it goes. The promises of God are there. 
and they're real and they're accessible, but the distance and the journey from where you start and when you realise the promises of God, there will almost always be giants that will try to stand in your way, trying to put you down, trying to pull you down and trying to prevent you from taking hold of those promises. And we have a choice every single time as we move towards God's promise, out of our comfort zone, over the fence, whether or not we're gonna fight. If I don't versus if I do. Risk versus reward. And here's one of the key differences between the people that ultimately arrive at God's promises. It's not that they didn't face giants. It's not that they didn't recognise the giants were powerful. It's just that they recognised throughout the entire journey that the giant, whilst being a giant, was defeatable. So if you're feeling God calling you over the fence into this wide, open, expansive life, you will need to get battle ready, okay? And so I didn't warn you, because I did. It's on the podcast. So in order to help you get battle ready, let's talk strategy. And I just wanna hit a few key battle ready strategic things that you and I are gonna need to understand and cultivate as we move forward. In no particular order, but let me start with this one. Some giants and some battles are external and some battles are internal. And it's important to understand which is which when you're moving towards fighting that particular giant. Often our greatest enemy isn't the giant, it's how we see ourselves compared to the giant. It's often not the giant, it's how we see God and what he's capable of compared to the giant. And David, if he had a superpower, it was that as a teenage boy, he recognised that Goliath was big on the outside, but that he was bigger on the inside. And he recognised that whilst Goliath was powerful, he recognised that his God, whom he served, whom he would fight for and with, was even more powerful than Goliath. And when we go into a battle, it's too easy to focus on we, what we don't have and what we've never done and what might go wrong. And yet, if we can actually better navigate that internal battle of saying, yeah, but what if, if I do fight? and I'm moving towards something that God's calling me to, he'll probably help. He'll probably fight for me. He'll probably fight with me. He'll probably fight in me. And, and he's gonna allow me to grow through this battle process. And much of what has happened in your life often prepares you to fight the next battle. And I'll come back to that as far as it was for David. Here's another one that we need to understand. Winning the battle isn't always the same as winning the war. And the problem is, if you get these two mixed up and you win a battle, but you think you've won the war, and so you stop there, you'll never win the war. Because the next battle will come along and you think, you've downed tools. You're on the hammock. So understand, when, you, when you've fought a battle, Ask the question, was this the final battle? Have I now won the war? If so, great. But if not, guess what? Catch your breath, regroup, and prepare 
for the next battle. And don't stop fighting the battles, whatever they may be, until you know that you've ultimately won the war because it's the war that we are trying to ultimately win. Well, here's another one. There is no such thing as a purposeful, pressure-free life. Because again, it's like, what? God called me to this, and, and it, it feels like it's come gift-wrapped with pressure. It's like, yeah, it did. Didn't you get the memo? Didn't you read the small print? If you want a purposeful marriage, guess what? It's gonna come with pressure. If you wanna be a purposeful parent, it's gonna come with pressure. If you wanna be purposeful in your business, in your career, then it's gonna come with pressure. Maybe not full bore, full noise, full gas, full time pressure, but there will be times and situations and seasons of pressure. It's unavoidable. But here's the good news. Pressure is where babies are born and where diamonds are made. Hello, And God does some of His best work in pressure-filled situations. So the goal isn't to avoid pressure. The goal is actually to bring your best and be your best in the midst of pressure. You know, I gave Louie a shout out. Uh, Louie, my wife, who obviously my preaching was boring because she just left. Um, Took one of her scaly mates with her as well. So I'm, I'm down too, Maddie. I'm, I thought I was going so well. Too many Jared Beanie friendly references for them, I guess. No sense of humour, Jared. So Louie, I gave her a shout out a few weeks ago, um, reflecting on a, a, her a journey, slice of her journey, where six years ago she was working in an, an administrative role at a high school, loving it doing a great job, but she felt God calling her, so this isn't a slur on admin people, she felt God calling her to move towards teaching where she felt that she could make an even greater contribution at investing into the lives of high schoolers. And so that required her to uh, enroll in a part-time course of tertiary study, bachelor's degree in education, uh, and she did that whilst working full-time. Um, for several years, bachelor's degree became a master's degree, master's degree, I don't know, she's still studying, I don't even know what, people say what, I said, I gave up tracking a long time ago. I just say, good on you babe, so proud of you. No idea what you're doing, but so proud of you, yeah. Keep it going. What, am I, what, are you, what is she doing? I don't know, <laughs> studying. But, but here's the thing, working full time and would come home, uh, grab a little you know, plate of, of dinner that I cooked, and sit on the couch with her laptop and then, and then bang on, this is the whole you know, re remote learning thing, for sort of four or five hours, basically every night of the week. And then she would pull all-nighters if there was an ex exam coming up or an assignment due, often work through weekends, all day Saturday, all night, all day Sunday, all night. And, and this is several years and, uh, and uh, quite the commute and, um, and loving it. But she wouldn't have got there, there, if she hadn't been willing to actually push through and endure and bring her best in the pressure. If she thought that getting there was going to happen without pressure or the goal was to avoid pressure, she would never have gotten there. So wherever the there is between here and there, there, this English language is so confusing, is going to be pressure. Now, here's, here's one of my favorite metaphors. Slow cooking beats microwaving. Now, 
you can find me quite often sitting CSI crime scene posture on my couch watching food shows on Netflix. And one of the genres of food shows that I like is I like me a good slow-cooked barbecue food show. And one of the things, if you share my passion for watching, vicariously watching slow-cooked barbecue food shows, is these places that start cooking overnight and slow-cook this for 14 hours over hickory and mesquite and one is that, that when they open, 8 a.m., long before they open, there is, there is a queue like around the block because people are just, they're like, <laughs> like just following the trail of smoke from their, from their house at 3 a.m. <laughs> and uh, here's what you will not find on Netflix. You will not find a show that highlights queues of people wrapped around the block lining up to indulge in an 8 a.m. breakfast of microwaved cuisine. It will not happen because everyone knows that slow cooking beats microwaving. You come home and your spouse has dinner on the table and, you know, this could go one of two ways. You look at it and you go, honey, what's for dinner tonight? And if you're the one that prepped it, the best answer is, I have been preparing this meal for hours. And you think, wow, show me the love. <laughs> or the answer could be, ah, it's lean cuisine. <laughs> 90 seconds in the microwave on Hawaii. Not including the defrost function. <laughs> Slow cooking beats microwaving. And here's the thing. One of God's purposes for actually having us engage in battles is actually to better grow us. That we will actually grow, not only in the lead up to the battle, but we'll actually grow as the result of the battle. There's actually, God, God's, He's about event. But the thing about event, if we only recognize and read about the event and, and don't understand that, that before every event, there was almost always a process, a lead up, some preparation. And then even after the event, if you keep moving forward, if you keep looking to move into more of God's wide open spaces, because there's always more. If you recognize that, then understand that I don't wanna just have a quick microwave event. God, please, please allow me to experience the process, the slow cooking, the, the building, the layering of flavors and experiences because that's always better. And the thing about David is we see, we see this or read the story about this teenage kid putting down a giant. And, and what's often told about this story is that, is that, wow, David, a teenage boy, beat this nine-foot experienced warrior. Oh, my gosh, that's incredible. I mean, cause it's, and the reason it's so incredible is because you think this was an unfair fight. And we go, man, unfair fight. And yet the underdog, David, beat Goliath. But here's the thing. That is, an, whew, I was about to use an adult word there. That is completely not how this went. It was an unfair fight, but here's the deal. Goliath went into that fight as the underdog, but he just didn't know it. 
because no one knew about the backstory behind David leading up to that moment. See, David leading up to that moment, he was, whilst his brothers had joined the army, he was left to, to be in control of his, his family's livestock, his family's sheep. And so he would live out with the sheep. He would spend nights uh, on watch, on high alert, watching over the sheep. And, and he had his slingshot with him then. And he got very, very good, very, very good at using that slingshot. And he didn't just wait for a predator. You could be sure that he was practicing that because sheep, there's not much to do. Just like sheep, just keep being dumb and that's fine. All you have to do is watch out for predators. So while you're doing nothing, he's practicing with a slingshot, getting very, very good, setting up the tin cans on the fence. You know the drill. There was no tin cans back then. Come on now. Anyway, but that's what he was doing. And, uh, and then a predator came along, a lion. Well, he didn't take that lion on in hand to poor combat. He didn't even get close to that lion. He just picked up a stone. He put it in his slingshot. Boom. David won, lion zero. Another point in David's time looking over stupid sheep is a bear comes in. Again, he did not go hand to paw with the bear because if he did, that would have just been stupid. Suicide mission. Oh, I'm going I'm to oh, tackle the bear. I'm going to bear hug the bear. Okay, I had to say it. Sorry, Maddie. I had to say it. No, he stood back, picked up a rock. Boom. David won, bear zero. So now he's out there on the battlefield, he's been preparing for this moment all of his short life. And the thing he didn't do is he didn't go running and try to take on Goliath in hand-to-hand combat. No, he just went out there. Sling. He picked up five rocks. And some people say, oh, well, he obviously didn't have faith. If he had faith, he would have only picked up one rock. I'm gonna, God promised him the victory. He didn't say it was only going to happen with one rock. Sometimes you need to shoot off a second. But, but he didn't. But what if he did? I mean, have faith. That means he was smart enough to pick up five. It was five there. It didn't cost any more. So it was an unfair fight because David saw himself as bigger on the inside than the giant was on the outside. He saw his God as more powerful than the, than the powerful uh, Goliath over the, the valley. And he had been slow cooking leading up to this moment that I felt, when I read this story, I felt so sorry for Goliath. The second that David rolled in on his Uber Eats scooter. So here's my question to to land this series. What's your next move? What's your next move? What's something large or small that God's calling you to move towards that might require you moving over a fence, a fence that's become very familiar and very safe and very comfortable and very protective. What's your next move? I can't tell you what that is. I mean, I can, but it doesn't mean I'd be right. But what's God saying? What's your next move? And you could be thinking about that right now, and I would encourage you to continue to think about that through this week. And as you do, I want to pray something over you that Paul actually prayed to 
a church in a place called Ephesus. And we're going to put this on the screen. By the way, these slides are on our website every single week. So what I'm about to pray over you is going to be in the slide deck on our website. Let me pray this specifically over each one of you that's ready to make your next move. I ask, I ask God, the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly, I don't know what it, I'm praying that you can, you'll get to see exactly what it is God's calling you to do to grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him, endless energy, boundless strength. And you can pray this for yourself through the week. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love you to join us for one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information about our great Elevate Kids and Elevate Youth environments, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me, and also download our Elevate Church AU app. 